We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl i cannot tell you how good it is to be back talking with the one and only mike wall you can follow him on twitter at mike wall 68 mike it's been a hot second how the heck have you been Doing great, Andy. Doing great. Looking forward to uh, the upcoming, I guess, off season now, and all the all the banter that goes with the draft and whatnot. So good to talk to you. It's a beautiful time of year. Uh, we all get super excited about draft time. Hope springs eternal. Every team in in the NFL is excited in some way, shape, or form. Uh, what's your sort of uh, you know draft routine as we get closer and closer to the draft here? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think we've talked about this before. I'm not a big mock draft guy at all. I right. It's a it's a it's a phenomenal amount of work to play roulette with that many people, and I I, I do like to look I like watching tape so I'll watch tape on guys that are you know, different positions and kind of go through a handful of people. But as far as putting it all together and playing GM, I leave that for uh, for the people who are just diehard passionate about it, and I'll I'll just see who what plays out afterwards here. I, I I don't know that I will watch more than thirty minutes of the draft when draft day actually hits. Gotcha. Now I, I can understand that, and especially like you said, some of the pre-work that goes in and just watching some of these guys, it's fun. I always enjoy, you know, when you've done the, the pre-work and you've watched some of these guys, then sort of seeing how the day transpires and who ends up where and specifically like who fits with the right team, because you can what? tell sometimes like, oh, that just makes so much sense. And other times you're like, eh, not, not sure how that's going to work out. But um, yeah. either way, it's it's such great reality TV. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think the the Maybe the my, the cynical part of me is always like the 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 fit, whether it's the, the fit for an athlete for ninety five percent of the NFL players, like where you go is so important. Yeah, it's absolutely it's it's so crazy. Brady Quinn and Lavar Arrington were talking about this on their show yesterday because I think somebody came out and was you know, talking about how Brady was a bust. I didn't catch the first part of it, but I think that's what, I think that was the gist of it. And, sure, you know his pushback was obviously like, well. It's like, look where you go. Look who's developing you. Look how many coordinators you have. Look how many receivers you're playing with that are rookies. And and it it is true. And if you, when you talk to players, that is kind of, and this may be that why I'm not as enamored with the draft as like the as a lot of fans are, is because I I know ultimately of all the guys we talk about today, 
if they don't go to the right spot, if there's not the right, if they don't have the right room and that's players and coaches, if they're not running the right system, like most, a lot of these guys, will, that's why so many first round picks fail. I mean, yeah. it, it's a really, really tough business once you get in. This is fun to speculate on, certainly, but the work, the, it, there's so much work to be done. And it's such a, it's such a coin flip, man. Yeah, the, the draft uh, and Tony Polino, like the draft is the start of the process, right? It's the start of everything. Like, you, yeah, you get to your team and then now it's all about like, again, how they fit in, how you develop this prospect and you get them off to a strong start. Like all of it starts from there. So it's fun to see where they are in, you know, the initial matches and what team gets what player and stuff. But man, like it, it's just it's just the tip of the iceberg for what's to come next and how these players will all ultimately progress in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. We're going to talk a lot about draft in just a moment, but it has been a hot second since we've had an opportunity to talk. And just a few things have gone on since then, specifically Aaron Rodgers likely headed to the New York Jets, maybe, probably, possibly, I guess. We're still no closer to a deal, it seems like, at this point. But I just want to get your thoughts on the potential and the likelihood that Aaron is leaving probably for the Jets. I, at this at this point, you'd have to be shocked if he if he didn't end up there. Now, what that looks like over the next couple of weeks, um, you know, there's been so much talk about who's got who's got leverage, when they have leverage, when the leverage changes. I mean, obviously, right now, if the Packers want to try to recoup anything for this draft, they better they better get a deal done sooner than later, which you would think kind of swings the, whatever leverage the Jets have or, or more so into their favor. Um, I always feel weird about this, to be honest with you, because I think we all know that you know that Aaron doesn't necessarily have the best relationship with some some members of the front office and maybe even the coaching staff at right. this point. Um, this has happened before. This is this is not a historical precedent in this building or this quarterback. Um, he's done so much for the Green Bay Packers and the in the larger community. He's brought so much money into that building for different people, players, coaches, personnel groups. You like to just see this be as amicable as possible. I know, obviously, Goody has a job to do, and certainly Joe Douglas has a job to do. And they're and they're they're, they're stewards of their organizations. They're doing the best job they can. Um, I wonder how much Woody Johnson's involved, and that's something that might be holding this up because you know, right. coming from a place that doesn't have an owner, kind of that can get involved as much, and then going and then I've been in clubs that do have owners, and you can see how they can get involved. I wonder if that's part of this. Um, I wonder if Aaron saying 90% retired before he went into the darkness and realizing like from a Jets perspective, that doesn't sound great. You know, right. if I'm thinking about, you know, mortgaging my future. Um, I have to be honest with you, it, right at this stage, if I'm the Jets and everything that's gone, I don't know how good I feel about this trade. You know, just I, I because I, yes, you have a championship caliber defense. Yes, Aaron Rodgers could be the Matthew Stafford to the LA Rams move that makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. But when you're 90, like I'm just telling you from a player standpoint, man, when you're 90% out of it and then you go into the darkness, you decide you want to play again. Like you, if the thoughts in your head, you're done. Like it's, it's just a matter of time. Like the talks, right. the clock's ticking now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm sure they'll get something done, but the next couple of years for Aaron, uh, I, I would be interested to see if he if it is completely rejuvenated by a um, a different setting, a different organization, having an owner, having those relationships, seeing that what what doors can be opened in New York, like all of those things could make him want to play for longer. But it, it's going to be, I think it's going to be super interesting to see what happens to him over the next season or two. No, I totally agree, and I've I've said the same thing from a Jets point of view is like. 
Yeah, we, we saw the Matthew Stafford situation and in a slightly different extent. We saw the, the Tom Brady situation where they were able to bring him in Tampa and he was the missing piece and they went all in and surrounded him with all the pieces that he needed in, in Tampa. So we've seen this sort of work in, in more recent history. But as you mentioned, it's a player who, again, yes, there were injuries, but is probably coming off his worst season. And yes, Aaron is right. His worst season is better than almost every other quarterback's best season. No question about it. And, um, but you know, almost 40 years old, 90% almost retired, uh, didn't quite look the same last year. His legs are starting to go more. He's not going to be as mobile as he used to be. And if you're willing to give up, you know, up to a $60 million in, in salary over the next couple seasons, plus premium draft capital for what in all likelihood is one year of that quarterback, that is a tall, tall ask. And I said before, like if, if I were an NFL GM, and again, most teams can be very thankful that I'm not, uh, if, 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 it, if the Chiefs came to me and said, you'll get one year of Patrick Mahomes, it's going to cost you $60 million in a first round pick. I, if I were the Jets and I've like had everything around me, I'd probably say yes, but 60 mil in a premium draft pick for one year of almost anyone is a, is a tough ask. And it, yes, it's Aaron Rodgers, four-time MVP, future Hall of Famer. Uh, but again, it changes the calculus a bit when we have seen some more injuries for him over the past couple seasons. And obviously, I want Green Bay to get as much as possible. So uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm more than willing to take what what Green Bay can get. But it's a really, really interesting scenario. I I would say this: um, Patrick Mahomes might be, you know, he's he's undoubtedly number one. Aaron Aaron Rodgers last year, like I don't look at Aaron Rodgers' season last year. I look throws the way he to me, he is still a top two or three quarterback in the National Football League. I, I mean, I, I just I I don't think there's anything. Yes, last year I know his his QBR. Like I'll, you watch the games, you you watch the games, yeah. you know what he was dealing with from a from a personnel standpoint, from an experience standpoint. I the play calling was stagnant last. I mean, there's there's so many things that go into that. Like just from a pure ability to throw the ball in a place where only his guy can catch it, escapability, all of that stuff. Like he's still got it. Um, it is a, it is, it's a, it's a crazy ask, but now we're talking, we're starting to talk about crazy dollars too. Yeah. It, you know, so all of it, it's all relative value. True. And I, I always look back at like, you look at the Rams in particular and they knew that thing was going to go to hell in a handbasket after oh, one. And they sure. knew it. And Sean yeah. was like, that's, he was, you know, that's okay. And so if you're, you know, Douglas or, or, or Coach Lyon, and you think it's worth taking this shot because I know, like, what fans may not get it, get this, but Joe Douglas and Robert Sterling are calculating in part, in large part, that if they get Aaron Rodgers and they win a Super Bowl, they get a guaranteed three more seasons. No That'd matter, be, I mean, yeah. they could do anything and they're going to get three more seasons. If they keep Zach Wilson and they have a bad year this year, they could be gone this year this year yep right so there that's the, that's the calculus that these that a lot of these general managers and coaches are also dealing with and of course they want to win and that's true I, I i say it all the time one of the like blind spots for me is like i'm constantly thinking that every gm and and everyone in the organization is acting in best interest for the organization at all times and a lot of times it's self-preservation and i can easily forget that from time to time so no that very much so they like the jobs are on the line joe douglas and uh and robert sala have had opportunities they haven't won a, a, much so far they had the opportunity with a, a top two quarterback and did not hit on zach wilson so no time is ticking for them if they can't figure out something in, in a way to win sooner rather than later yeah and, and woody johnson um i think at this point he, he, 
presents as somebody who I think the clock's ticking, I think, as far as his patience. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Now, Aaron Rodgers stuff aside, the Packers have been as about as quiet as you could possibly be this offseason. They did bring back Keyshawn Nixon, really kind of just try to keep their special teams intact. But what's been your your overarching thought on the Packers offseason so far? Well, it's frustrating that they don't improve their team at all. Um, certainly, Adrian Amos is is you know, there's some guys that are Mercedes Lewis, like we don't know if they're who's going to resign them, this, that, right. the other. Um, but at the same time, you kind of go, well, what what do you expect them to do unless until Aaron's not here? And and I think what's you know part of the frustration is if you plant your flag and say Jordan loves our new guy no matter what like even if Aaron comes back we'll just tell him to stay home and eat the 60 whatever it is like this is our guy then I think you have to change the way you've been doing business for the last 30 years quite frankly like I, I the way that they're doing the way that they've been able to do this you know draft and develop and you know when I look back and I think about all the head coaches that were on Mike Homer and staff that they were all like most of those guys were teachers before they were co- that this is not that this is a different era and you need to bring in players that can help on, you need to bring in the kind of two type of players, players that can help on day one locker room and on the field production. And then I think it gives you a little more leeway in this draft to draft younger guys that can develop with, I'm talking about offensive skill position players in particular that can develop with your young quarterback. So I would have, you'd like to see them make, you know, plant their flag in the ground as far as even bringing in some maybe second tier um, defensive help or second tier, you know, safety position, second tier edge player, second tier slot wide receiver, like bring in some, something during the free agency period that shows everybody like, Hey, we're not just giving up because Aaron's gone. You know, we're still going to try to build this team in a smart way that's sustainable. It's not going to be literally we're just going to start throwing a bunch of young kids in here. And, hey, by the way, vets are going to suffer for a couple of years while we figure this out. Like it just for me, from a messaging standpoint, I don't know if I agree with it. I, I did an episode, uh, I think, middle of last season, and I basically said in semi facetiously, but kind of realistically that draft and develop to me is, is kind of been dead. And if you look at Green Bay over since Goody has become GM, you look at guys who have legitimately taken like that second or third year jump or have really progressed through the course of their career. Uh, Jair Alexander, who was that top 18 pick and was good from day one. Mm-hmm. He got better as time went along. Rashawn Gary, you could make the argument of the same thing. He like, he's certainly progressed through his time, but also top 12 pick. Like those guys are supposed to be really good and get better over time. Uh, you can make some argument for Elton Jenkins, although again, was really good basically since the day he got here and his I wouldn't say like plateaued, but he's, he's gotten incrementally better year by year. Maybe Jordan Love will be the guy, but again, another first round pick, but he could potentially be the guy that gets better. We're going to have to wait and see TJ Slayton, maybe a fifth rounder has shown some incremental signs of improvement year over year. Outside of that, you look at like the Josh Jackson never got better. Oren Burks, Jamon Moore. Yeah. You know, Equinemius St. Brown, those guys never really took a step. Darnell Savage, in my opinion, has almost gotten worse since the first day he was here. Jay Sternberger never took that second or third year jump and was out of here quick. AJ Dillon hasn't really shown much improvement over his time in Green Bay. Josiah DeGuara never has. Kamal Martin was out immediately. John Runyon Jr. Maybe I think you could make an argument there. 
Josh Myers looked worse in his second year, in my opinion, than he did in his first year. Amari Rogers was out in his second year before his first year. Royce Newman looked worse in his second year. Um, Shamar John Charles never took a step. Cole Van Landon was immediately traded. So I know we like all of a sudden get this idea of like, oh, I can't wait to see what Quay Walker is going to do in year two and what Devontae Wyatt can do. And like, you know, we all think that like maybe Sean Ryan, third round pick last year, can take a step and actually play snap. Like we think all of these things and that Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson are going to take this huge step. Um, but like it just hasn't more often than not shown itself to be true. And I think we're almost at a, a point now, especially with the limited ability in, um, you know, in, in training camp and in what you can actually do with these guys. And as you've mentioned over and over, coaches more interested in scheming and preparing for the next week than maybe actually develop, you know, developing players and skills and those sort of things. It almost feels like you've got to take guys that are good right now in the draft, because if you're just expecting to take this raw ball of clay and that they're going to improve, like again, ex, you know, exponentially over the course of their career. Yeah. If you've got a, a top 20 guy in a Rashawn Gary or a Jair Alexander, it might happen. If it's not, it just hasn't shown it. And maybe they're just drafting the wrong guys. That could be too. But like it, it had that development has not taken place since Goody's been here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's two things, a couple of things that you just said are really interesting, right? One, you can go on any social media channel or YouTube channel, watch Rashawn Gary and Jay Alexander train in the offseason away from the building. So, so they develop their, their development is severely tied to actions that are occurring outside of Lambeau Field. Yep. Okay. So that's I think that's well that's an important point to note. Um, we ever I think everybody who is involved has been watching Green Bay has been waiting for this time when they don't have a top, you know, a thirty-year Hall of Fame tenure quarterback <laughs> to see how good these coaches are at developing talent. And I think one of the points that you're making is based on just looking at individuals and play, how, how comfortable do you feel that they're doing a great job of actually developing the players in their room versus what I think, call me cynical, but when you've got a generational player at the mercurial position, uh, uh, at the most important position on the field, that elevates the play of a lot of other people Absolutely. that masks the play of a lot of other people. And I, you know, I think it would be, we've talked about from a culture standpoint on our show, a lot, Andy, that the mistakes that were made in year and in, in all the 13 and three years were all the same mistakes that were made last year. 
Nothing changed. Even And I'll even go as far to say special teams was bottom five last year until they put Keyshawn Nixon in. Nothing changed. Okay? And so because you can bring in Rich Bisaccia, but if Rich Bisaccia doesn't get more time at practice, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Then there's more meeting time. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters incrementally, in, incrementally. So all of this stuff to me has been really interesting to watch because I'm, you know, I'm always kind of looking at, well, which players are actually playing better? You know, what, who's playing better? And if, and I think you just made a, a great observation that a lot of these guys um, look like those jumps that you expect, those leaps and bounds, those, those 20% increases in production, yeah. they're just not coming. And, and they're going to have to figure it out because if, if you don't have that core, I mean, I, I remember very specifically, we're playing the Detroit Lions one year and we're beating the brakes off in Detroit. You know, they suck. They're at home. We're, we're at Lambeau Field. I forgot where I was playing against a backup D tackle. And he just go like, you know, we're just, it's, we're winning by 20 points or something, you know, and they're just pissed off. And he just goes, he goes, yeah, you know, you guys ain't anything without Brett. And, and we just kind of were like, yeah, but we got them. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's where that's where we're at. So let's players know what's going on. I just now we're all kind of catching up to man. We better start developing this talent in the, in the room a lot better than we are because we don't have that guy to bail us out. I think it's going to be a very interesting season, no matter what. Like I'm super excited just to like see how everything plays out. I'm I'm so excited to see Jordan. I'm so excited to see how Matt runs this offense without Aaron. I'm so excited to see just how like do we get more player development? Do we see players take a step, knowing that they like almost have to? Like I, I think it could get a lot worse before it gets better. But I, at the same token, I'm just intrigued to see how this entire organization responds to not having a top you know QB at the position. The what the one thing you have to rely on with with this is. <clears throat> You have these are professional athletes that this is their this has been their dream their entire lives and if, if if so if you ask more of them they will do more they're programmed they are programmed to jump over whatever bar you set for them I think we just don't set the bar high enough more often than not the other thing about Green Bay has a rich it has a rich history of having great leadership in the locker room all the way back when I was Santana and Leroy Butler and all I mean great leadership in the locker room mentors guys that'll take you under their wing and teach the young guys how to play ball. I think you have that in a lot of the rooms in the building. They're going to be more important now than ever before without, again, that that parachute that is Aaron Rodgers. That's why, to me, like, Mercedes Lewis makes no sense on their timeline right now for, like, what when their next potential window could open and stuff like that. But that's that could be an invaluable player to have in the locker room as you're transitioning from. I, I don't know if you'd want any interest in playing in Green Bay without Aaron and, you know, without potentially having a chance at a Super Bowl this late in his career, which I'm sure would be paramount to what he would want if he plays again this season. But, man, if, if you could make that happen and find a way to get him back in the locker room, I think guys like that are going to be insanely important for this upcoming season. Yeah, I agree. Let's uh let's jump to the offensive line really quick before we jump into some of these top offensive linemen in the draft. Just your overall thoughts on the state of this Packers offensive line. Yash is now back on his restricted tender. Bakhtiari hopefully has the injury stuff behind him. They still got Jenkins, they've got Myers and, and Runyon, but um Zach Tom. But it, it's an interesting group and a lot of free agents or potential cap casualties after this season, which could leave some holes in 2024. Bakhtiari's health is is the most important thing in the offensive line. He's a he's a top three tackle when he's healthy. Um, he's just a, a ridiculous difference maker. I think Elgin Jenkins will greatly benefit from having some, you know, being able to you know be in one position and kind of lock that down again. At the, if they, if they if they do that, if they decide to leave him at left guard, which I think we're all assuming at this point, that's probably the best move. 
So they're going to have a, a pretty rock solid left side of the offensive line. They need to bring somebody in to, to compete with Josh Myers, not because Josh Myers can't. I still think Josh Myers can be a really a high level guard in this, or excuse me, high level center in this league. But he last year for whatever is it because Stenovich is out of the room? I mean, there's all these things we can point to and say, well, this might be part of the problem. But regardless, production matters, and they need to bring in somebody to push to to push him a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a, a high draft pick or, or you know, a street free agent. John Runyon Jr., I think, is always going to be a guy that – he's always going to be a guy that you f- you're you like, oh, John's doing a good job playing guard. Um, what other guards are available? I think that for his entire career, just because of his physical dimensions and, and play speed, he's, he could be, a, a, he can be a, a very solid and good player for the number of years in his career. I think they're always going to ask that question. I think it's just an inevitability. Yep. I think right tackle is a big deal this year. Honestly, I don't think they have the guy. I don't know if the guy, Zach, Tom, Yash, they can play that position. Can they play that position against the top guys in the league and be a difference maker for the offensive line? Um, or do you want to bring in like a Darnell Wright? You know, I mean, you, you know, I start going like, man, this this seems like, you know, is Brian Balaga, you know, back at Iowa? Can we draft him again? You know, let's, right. there, there's an opportunity there, I think to have an impact on a position that was, especially with a young quarterback, you really want to have some dominance at that right tackle spot because the premier pass rushers in the league now are playing left defensive and outside linebacker. I, w- I want to ask you about Yash really quick, because I feel like there's a lot of different narratives out there. Uh, personally, I really like Yash. I think his story is amazing. Undrafted free agent to what he's become. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, picture perfect swing tackle in the NFL that can fill in at left tackle, fill in at right tackle. And you don't have to necessarily change your game plan too much from what you want to do on a week to week basis. And there is so much value in that. So this is not a me disliking Yash, but I also feel like there's uh, this idea out there that Yash is just a good starting tackle. And I'm not sure I'm quite there. I, I, like I said, I think you can get by with him. I think he's okay. I, I, I love the story. I just don't necessarily know that, like you said, if I have Yash at right tackle and he's my guy, that I'm not also looking for a replacement as soon as I can to try to get a better right tackle to come in and, and play that position. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, listen, I'm an offensive lineman. So I, when I look at people who do things the right way, I'm looking at Roseman and the Eagles. Like, yeah. they, they, where so, are they going to be really good every year? Offensive and defensive line every year. And for me now, when you look at, again, you look at who your quarterback is, where you play, you play outdoors, you know, your division you're in, all all of these things. Who who are the best players on your offense right now? Your running backs. I mean, your two running backs, that's your best position, right? So so you start thinking, for me, I want to go find the next Lane Johnson. At right tackle, I good like good enough isn't really good enough. Yeah, you know, I, I think you need to have dominant. I think you need to find the next Titus Howard. You know, Titus they drafted the Texans drafted Titus Howard out of Alabama State. The, the dude's I just you know Tristan Wirfs. Those so guys make differences on the field that a lot of these good enough players just won't ever do. And so I, I'm with you. Like it's not a question that he's a he's a good NFL player. But if you can go find a dominant NFL player at that position or any of the positions across the offensive line, I mean, we see what Jason Kelsey's doing in his 12th year. You yeah. know, he's 285 pounds, but because of his experience, his savvy, his knowledge, football intelligence, he is a bona fide difference maker star 
on a great football team. And so we just need as many of those as we can find. Could not agree more. And that Eagles offensive line and defensive line is just so fun to watch. And like you said, they do things the right way every single year. Uh, Laura, let's let's just ask the, the question, who are some of your favorite offensive linemen in this year's draft and maybe a couple guys that you'd like to see Green Bay take at pick 15? Well, I don't know who's going to be around. But right. Everybody talks about Skaronsky, whether he's a tackle or a guard, I think he can play either either position. I, I think he can play on day one. Um, if if you if Skaronsky, for some reason, if he dropped to 15, he's a no-brainer. Um, I mean, I he, I always I'm looking at these drafts now, like you have to draft the best guy on your board. Okay. And you might value you might not value tight ends like I value tight ends, right? So they might a tight end might never reach first round on your board. A fullback might never reach second round on your board. But I'm, I I kind of look at it like what's who is the best player on? Because I again want difference makers. If I can draft a George Kittle, and George Kittle, I know George Kittle is gonna has the potential to go out and be the best damn tight end I've ever you know I've seen in the last yep. ten years. Like I'm gonna go draft him. So I really like Skaronsky. I really like Darnell Wright, uh, the tackle out of Tennessee. I think yeah. that I think from a right tackle position, he's got the physical attributes that you're looking for. Both the kids out of Ohio State are good. Paris Johnson's, I think, getting a little more pub. He did some ridiculous thing at, the, at his pro day that I thought yeah. was asinine. But um, I actually think that the right tackle is going to be – I'm always worried about the weight issue, but I think he's going to be a really, really good pro. He uh, handles his weight pretty darn well, considering he's like, yeah, we're weight talking weight. about yeah, uh, Dewan Jones. He's he's, I mean, I've I've seen anything from like 360 to 380, but he's it's just like Makai Becton looks great too. But I, you know, when he came in, we were saying, like, listen, he's not going to play very long because he gets hurt, all, he's going to get hurt all the time. You're just too big, but this guy right. seems like he's handling his weight a little bit better, certainly. Um, the kid out of Georgia, obviously, Broderick Jones, I mean. What an athlete, right? I mean, right. just just from an athlete, an athletic trait standpoint, you got to really like him. And then there's a couple of guys later on in the draft. There's, I there's two tackles out of Oklahoma that are really good. I happen to like the right tackle, Wanya Morris. I just think athletically, he's he's pretty high up there. Um, Anthony Bradford is a guard out of LSU. He's a he's unlike most players that you're going to see like Green Bay draft. He's a monster. I mean, he's just right. a big, big human. But it reminds me of a little bit of like a, a, a sitting where he's he's huge, but he's got great lo his lower body looks like he's looks like a basketball player. And then the other kid who's pretty good is uh from an athlete standpoint is is John Gaines from UCLA. And when I'm looking at like any anybody outside of the first round, like you're not expecting to start on day one, Andy. Right. When we start talking about offensive line traits, technique's important. Um, but really it's like your footwork, your general body position, your and in your demeanor into contact is what I'm really looking at because we have to assume that, um, the coaching that you get at the national football league level is going to put you in a better position than maybe it did in the pac 12 or the big 10 or the sec, right? All these different coaches, all these different systems, you might want to change stuff. The one thing that you can't, the one thing that I've found from draft to playing in the league that, that you have a hard time breaking a bad habit is when you see guys that just play high they lean into contact and, and and Anthony Bradford does this a little bit. This is the one sure. thing that would give me pause. He plays a little bit high into contact. 
to get guys hip hinged down and have him playing with a better body, uh, better body position, play after play after play. Like you got to really put some work into that. So from a developmental standpoint, going back to your, you know, our, our conversation about how good is Green Bay or any other team at developing talent, where you go matters. If you get a guy like that and you don't fix that problem, it's going to continue to be a problem for however long he's in the National Football League. And I feel like even as you mentioned with some of those, like even as much as you work on it, they almost just like revert back to what their like base instinct is sometimes. And it's just that. And and like if, if people, and maybe you're mentioning this in like leaning, but like the waist bending too, like some of that is just so hard. It seems like to, to sort of teach out to players. Well, if here's the thing that always is really interesting to me about the, the college game. So I can't, there's like I can go into any school and I don't really know what kind of technique they taught or how important it was to them. And I don't know if the coach, like I'm just talking about offensive linemen. Right. I don't know if the coach taught him how to be in a good stance. I don't know if the coach understands the the movement mechanics associated with how they're actually teaching technique. In other words, I'm sure that they understand what technique they're teaching, but I don't know if they understand how that technique goes in line with like how you're supposed to be moving. Cause that's a big deal, especially with offensive linemen. You see way too many guys being taught how to move improperly, if that makes sense. Um, but the one thing that you can, I can go anywhere in the country. I can go into the, the strength and conditioning room and guarantee that they're, they're teaching the same stuff, right? They're all teaching them how to right. hip hinge. They're all teaching them how to clean broad jump, vertical jump. They're teaching them how to sprint. You know, teach them how to, so I can go to that coach and I can see the development of these athletes and how much time and effort and work they've put in over the years. And that's pretty much what I need to know. Like, are you, are, have you physically developed at a significant rate during your college years because of the work you put in there? Cause that's going to tell me so much about your professionalism, your attention to detail, your dedication, all of those like kind of behavior traits that I care about. That's going to tell me so much more than I'm going to learn from, Oh, I don't like where this guy's hand placement is. It's like, Oh, I can teach you hand placement. Every once in a while, Ben Fennel will post that on Twitter, the the picture of the kid who came in as like a 220-pound tight end and left as like a 310-pound jacked offensive tackle. And it's just like you see like this scrawny freshman and then this just built, jacked up senior offensive tackle. And it's just – it's incredible to see the transformation that some of these players can take from – Cody Mock. Cody Mock this year, North Dakota State kid. He's, he's that – he's that, I was that kid. I mean, that's you – know, yep. those – Kids that go through that, I mean, I say you firsthand, kids that go through that, there's a, there's the, the way you think about your opportunity is different than a lot of the kids who show up and they're already 320 pounds and they kind of, they've been killing people in high school. The, the thought process is different. It doesn't mean those other kids aren't going to be successful. In fact, they're probably most of the draft, first round draft picks that you're looking at probably were all star, five star recruits, monster guys in college, but I'm just, there's something too, especially when you start looking about a little bit later in the draft, you start looking at these guys that are, you know, were they wrestlers? Were they basketball players? Are they athletes? Are they multi-sport athletes? Do they, how hard do they work in the way? But that, that strength conditioning conversation, that's the one thing that is universal across every college you go to. So that is a great measuring stick for us as evaluators of talent to figure out a lot about not only their physical, but also the behaviors that kind of they're going to bring into their locker room. I right, two questions really quick. Uh, the first one, let's just say, and then we know it's not going to happen, but let's say all four of the top offensive linemen are there at, at pick 15, or maybe just rank them for Green Bay for, at pick 15, from Skaronsky to Broderick Jones to Darnell Wright to Paris Johnson Jr. How would you rank those one to four as to the, the guy that you'd like to see in Green Bay? Oh, 
Well, I think Skronsky is the best player on the board. I don't think that's uh, – so you pick the best player. I, and then you, you probably move Elgin Jenkins. You figure out there. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think Skronsky is that good. When I watch the bend and everything and the way he moves – I would be. I would just tell Elgin Jenkins you're going to play right guard this year, or so. You know what I mean? I just because Senate. I think I would put him at yeah, Senate. or yeah, or say that, that's a that's a great point. That's a great because at some point, Skronsky to me, the, the arm length conversation is like if you if you've ever played the sport, the arm length conversation is ridiculous. Um, he can play tackle as soon as Bakhtiari decides to leave, which I don't. You know the way that sometimes he talks on TV, you're like, oh man, he might be gone sooner than later, right? Um, who else did you have? Dewan, uh, do you have Dewan Jones? Uh, I did not. Uh, Darnell he's, Wright? He's more projected late first, early second okay, right now. So, so Darnell Wright, Paris so Johnson, Darnell, and Broderick Jones. Okay, so uh, I would take Darnell Wright because we have Bakhtiari, and I think Darnell Wright's going to be you know the the right tackle in this draft. I think the same um, thing. Broderick Jones, because I think you can put Broderick Jones, again, back at left guard if you want. And, yeah. and then I – Paris, when I watch Paris Johnson, I think Paris Johnson's a, going to be a good player, but I would not have him rated as high as as a lot of other people do. And I I think he's going to be a good player. And depending on where he goes and how he gets developed, he'll be he could be a great player. But I I'm not as um, enamored with him. Maybe it's because I think the other guys, you know, for my money is probably the the guy I would I would pick on on that team. I think the other thing that's tough with Paris is like I. I I'm sure you could probably do some maneuvering with him, but he just feels like a left tackle to me. And like Bakhtiari's there, like, you know, you could, I'm sure put him at right tackle. But then at that point, like if he's playing out of position at right tackle and day one, is he that much better than Yash or maybe even a Zach Tom that you have on the roster? Maybe, but maybe even probably, but like, to me, he's just a true left tackle. And that's good long-term if, if Bakhtiari has an injury concern again or whatever, but I don't know. That's that's a little tougher for me. I, I, I'm with you, right? Right along the line, Skaronsky, Darnell Wright, Broderick Jones, and then and then probably Paris. For uh, fans, let me, for, let me ask you this. Yeah, for fans out there, describe the difference to you between Paris Johnson and Zach Tom. Oh, um, so I would say physically Paris Johnson has more athletic traits that you can work with. Um, I think Zach Tom's lower body is, you know, his, is just his movement skills are really good. Although I think Paris Johnson can do that as well. I think Zach Tom gives you five position versatility, whereas Paris Johnson, probably just a left tackle. Um, but as far as like what they could potentially do on game day, I like, honestly, I think, I think Zach Tom can hang with Paris Johnson long-term for what they could potentially do. Even, even at left tackle. Like I, I really like Zach Tom. I'm excited to see what he can progress into. How about you? Yeah. Well, that's, that's how I feel the same way. Um, I don't know that I, I wouldn't go as far to say that. I think that, I think maybe Paris Johnson has been better coached at a bigger program over the last four years is what I would say about the, what's the difference between the two of them. I would gotcha. say, I would say that they're, um, I think that say that, Paris Johnson's floor is higher on day one than Zach Tom's, but I don't know that their ceilings are any different. Um, it's kind of saying the same thing you are. Uh, I think you can see the frame of Zach Tom and how he could fill out. Uh, but, but from a movement standpoint, um, I don't, I, me personally, I just don't see something where I, it jumps off the board to me, the combination of physical movement and then, you know, that body type and size that's that much different that it deserves you know, five, was that a five round difference, four round difference? Yeah. Four round difference for sure. No, I'm, so. I'm with you. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, the other, the three guys I want to ask you about really quick, Steve Avila, the guard, and then the two centers uh, from the big 10. Mm. 
So, so Steve Avila, um, love the, love the physicality, right? Love, and again, I just for me, I, I go back to. There's a guy that can play guard and center. Um, I go back to how do you move? And the guys that I really like in this draft, I just feel like, you know, uh, Wanya Morris, John Gaines, I feel like those guys for the positions they're going to – John Gaines in particular, he played right guard at UCLA, right? Yep. And he's a, he's a big, strong guy. He's got great feet. Good hip hinge, good body position, hands inside. Like he's he's been well coached. Steve Avila is going to be a guy. I don't. I think you can put him in day one, and he'll struggle. But he, you you could start him day one. You could start him at any of the interior three positions. So I, I like those guys. The, the Minnesota center is it the Minnesota kid? Yep. What's his yep. name? Michael Schmitz. He's getting a lot of notoriety, and I think I think that's that's um, warranted. He's not overwhelming from a size standpoint he's not overwhelming from a speed standpoint that's what i thought but but he plays the game he's not like tyler lindenbaugh from last year from iowa you know like that was a can't miss that guy is going to be an all pro for years i don't feel the same way about uh about this kid i think he's going to be a good pro um but i just think again when you're it just depends on where you want to draft this kid but if you're looking at last year's comp in the first round, being that being Tyler of the Iowa kid, I'm just going. That's it's just not the same. Well. It's apples and oranges. And then Tipman from Wisconsin. Uh, I haven't looked at Tipman too much, to be honest with you. So I I, I, I don't want to give a yeah, an assessment on somebody I haven't watched enough tape on. Yeah, he actually reminds me a little bit of Josh Myers, to be honest. But um, yeah, I'll be interested to hear if you get a chance to to look at him. You'll have to post something on on Twitter or on my block. But uh, yeah, he's a fun prospect either way. Fun fun player from Wisconsin. Uh, last thing, any other prospects? I I, I do want to ask you quickly about Jack Campbell because I know you were posting about him. I love Jack Campbell to death yeah, in this draft. Good. I think you posted you know the exact like he's just a freaking football player. So fun to watch. But quick thoughts on Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell looks like he could be 10 pounds bigger, which is kind of scary. Like Jack Campbell is – you know what I like about Jack Campbell the most? Well, first of all, he he clearly know, like he knows football. You can just tell he's a junkie. I think he's like an academic – I think he won like the academic Heisman. Like he's super – you know, he's like – he's kind of got, right. got everything you want. And I know he didn't – he ran like a four five nine or something like that, four six. And I'm like, guys, that's like that's fast. Like absolutely, we're, we're good. Like if you run a if you run a four five nine at 250 pounds, you're good. We're good. The problem here's what happens with here's what's happened in the National Football League with Jack Campbell. There are too many guys that that programs. Thank God I was still there doing their thing. By the way, I just love the way they develop offensive, defensive linemen, line. But I just you love it, man. Yep. And then don't forget about Bob Sanders, who was one of the baddest dudes ever until he got hurt. Seriously. So too many college teams take a look at Jack Campbell and go, you know what, man? We're just going to make you an outside linebacker and defensive end. You're going to be a rush guy because you're 6'5", 250 pounds. Oh, you fit into this box. And what I love about Jack Campbell is I, I firmly believe that the National Football League swings like a pendulum. Are we going to have are we going to play fullback football again? Are we going to go back to I like, you know, are we going to be more physical? Are we going to be down? Going to try to play nickel defense, four, two defense with six in the box and let these guys run all over us. Cause our linebackers can't hold up. 
Jack Campbell is or can be the body type and the demeanor that allows a defense to play their 4-2 base nickel run dime and still be able to hold opponents below four yards of carry. And you you can't do that in the National Football League right now. And he's the kind of guy – when you watch his tape, Andy, I can't – I cannot stress how important this is. He is the only guy I watched on tape this year where I can say definitively, I have no qualms about saying he can get off a block. I don't see a single linebacker. And I watched all the linebackers. I mean, I, I love that position. I don't see another guy that can get off blocks like Jack Campbell. I mean, he just, he loves the thrill of being able to shed a guard or a center and making tackles and guys don't do that anymore. So, He's bringing something to a team that not very many teams have, and there's certainly not very many people in the draft that, that have his skill set. Am I crazy for saying I like him more than the, the guy that Green Bay picked at pick 22 a season ago at inside linebacker? I, I, well, and I don't want to like bash anybody, but it's not even close. I agree. It's not, it's not even close. I know. They would pair well together, by the way, as well. I don't think they're going to go off-ball linebacker with all the needs that they have and having Quain Devondre, but yeah. It, when you When you watch – when you watch Quay last year, you go, what is the number one thing that stands out to you? I say he makes so many tackles nine yards after, you know, nine yards after the line of scrimmage, like because he gets blown off the line, he gets blocked pack. He can, he runs around blocks. You have a dude here that can just see ball, get ball. You know, I'm going to meet you in the hole. Inside linebacker is one of those ones that you just have to have instincts and you have to have physicality. And it's just like, those are two things that are not, like you can't compromise it. It's it's I've got burned in the past on guys like Stefan Anthony from Clemson, who's just this athletic freak and just couldn't do anything because he didn't have the instincts and didn't have the ability to take on guys at the point of attack. And they just don't turn out. And it's unfortunate because those guys are fun to watch, especially that like you get college where you got this guy almost playing sometimes in like the, the slot or something where they're, they're not blocked, uh, uh, you know, against guards or whatever. And they're just flying to the football and making mm-hmm. tackles. And it looks really good. Miles Jack, another guy like that. And then, um, you get to the NFL and you got to take on guards and it's just a totally different story. Well, it's like, uh, what's that kid's name from Trenton Simpson? Yeah. Same thing. Trent, Trenton Simpson. Play, but it's, it's crazy to me because he, I've heard Trenton Simpson's a can't miss prospect. And I look at it and I go, okay, well you're like six two two thirty five. Like you're fast. You're two thirty five. So you're not big. Right. And, but the way that Clemson plays him, he's playing at it. He's blitzing and running at the line of scrimmage. He's show he's showing early all the time and quite frankly like he's getting blocked badly by big guards and centers and it's like i don't even understand and i know that he he can rush he can do it like the guys from an athletic standpoint this is where guys fall in love with the athletic traits and you go wait a second where's this what's the skill set though can he get off a block can he do the things that that are required in the defense that we want to run there's just not a lot of dudes like Jack Campbell out there anymore, man. He's a, he's a throwback. I totally agree. I, I I like him not maybe not for Green Bay, especially at 15, but I, I like him in the first round. I like I like him that much. One of my favorite players in the draft. Mike, we could go on forever talking all of this stuff for probably ever. I'm going to get you out of here because I know you're a busy man. But thanks so much for doing this. We'll have to catch up after the draft and get your thoughts on some of the prospects and the players that Green Bay actually selected after you and I have had the chance to dissect the tape a little bit more. But uh, always amazing talking to you. Where can we follow you and where can we find your work? 
Yeah, MikeWall16 on Twitter, uh, process to perform Instagram. You can check out the On My Block podcast or the Block Party podcast where we break down a lot of this, a lot of these pre-draft guys, linebackers, safeties, offensive, defensive linemen, et cetera, et cetera. You can check that out on the Process to Perform channel on YouTube. Andy, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate you as always. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packet A Podcast. Please go out and file, follow Mike at MikeWall68. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Go.